0: Just a quick hello. This is the Magic: The Gathering unofficial audiobooks podcast. My name is Phil Dawson, and if you like what you are hearing, appreciate your support on Patreon. I'm trying to hit fifty patrons. We're at thirty-seven right now, as of this recording, and I think we got a pretty good deal for you too. As soon as you sign up, fill it to loyal. Le, le, hi, 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 hi. Take two. Just a quick hello. This is the Magic: The Gathering unofficial audiobooks. Three, two, one. Just a quick hello. This is the Magic the Gathering unofficial audiobooks podcast. My name is Phil Dawson. If you like what you are hearing, appreciate your support on Patreon. We're trying to hit 50 patrons. We're at 37 right now as of this recording, and I think we got a pretty good deal for you, too. As soon as you sign up, fill out the Loyalty Rewards Club doc, you start earning time as a supporter, and you can get great stuff. Stickers, pins, mugs, t-shirts, and the goodies will continue to grow can't do this without your support and it means a lot to me to be able to give back to you so check it out just search me up on patreon phil dawson we're trying to build something very cool here and we'll just keep making it better so get in now be a part of this great community also our discord is cooking check out that thing in our show notes and you can find me on twitter or instagram at phil in sendai i absolutely love hearing from you listeners so feel free to reach out all right let's go 2. Tempest. A dark room. An enormous crash of thunder resounded. A flash of lightning split the sky. There was a splintering from beyond the library windows. That would be the oak tree in the courtyard, the old man thought sadly. For how many years had it stood? He sighed and turned back to the room's interior, where the boy perused a leather-bound volume, his finger following along the lines. The hum of the Weatherlight's engines dropped an octave as a flying ship emerged from the ether between worlds. Dominaria slipped past its hull like water running down glass. Ilcaster broke off his recitation from the book and looked up at his master. So did they manage to get to Wrath? And did they rescue Sisay? From beyond the window came the faint echo of cries of others had seen the destruction wrought by the lightning bolt. The white-haired librarian sighed. By the door, boy, so we won't be disturbed, he said. I don't feel like rushing about outside on nights like this. Ilcaster lifted the solid wooden bar with some difficulty and slipped it into the large metal staples on the iron-studded doors. He stared at them for a moment, then turned abruptly to the librarian. Well, what happened? The man looked at the boy with the first signs of tenderness. Very well. As the ship entered Wrath, the crew came upon a strange and violent world. Clouds stretched far from the heavens to the earth, swirling columns of black and violet. Far below, the very ground seemed to sway and flow below the ship, as sails flapped in the raging storm. The master fumbled for a moment, threw at the pile of documents through which the boy had sorted, and finally plunged his hand into the middle and drew forth a slender volume, bound in black leather. On its cover was the faded title, The Book of Wrath. The librarian ran his hand lovingly over the spine. Here, he remarked, the most complete account of wrath. He held it out to the boy with both pride and trepidation. Be, be careful now. Ilcaster took the book cautiously, looked somewhat suspiciously at the dense columns of writing. The librarian leaned over his shoulder, flipping expertly through the fragile pages. Ah, yes, here. Mm-hmm. Ilcaster squinted at the heading of the page. Close stone. He traced the faded letters with a slender finger as he read aloud. The entire realm of wrath comprised of this artificial substance, an aggregation of cell-sized Borexian devices. These nano-machines collectively form a material that is malleable, ultra-tough, and responds to mental commands, usually given by the current rathian governor. Borexia constructed a titanic mechanism to produce this substance in vast amounts. This factory created the vast mountain in which the stronghold, seat of Ivancard Wrath, is located. Waves of newly created flowstone are constantly spewed from the top of the peak, cruddled down the mountainside, creating enormous flowstone planes. The boy finished the passage and looked rather helplessly at his mentor, who sighed and took the book from him. Uh, flowstone, said severely, is, or, or rather was, produced on Wrath by a factory located within Volrath's stronghold. Uh, what does it mean, Master, about responding to mental commands? Just what it said. The Flowstone, the moon, flowing from one place to another, even engulfing unwary intruders at the psionic orders of the Evancars of Wrath. That made it one of the most dangerous hazards in which Gerard and Weatherlight had to contend. As the crew gazed over the side of the vessel, they saw the seacoast below gradually give way to forest. Trees clung to her so closely that the ground was hidden. Stark told Gerard that this was the very edge of the great sky shroud, a vast canopy of trees that hid a swamp beneath. But he warned the new commander, the Weatherlight, true dangers of wrath often came suddenly upon the unwary, those things not seen. As if to conform his words, Tonga, the Minotaur, first mate of the ship, cried aloud in warning. From out of the clouds, above the ship, plunged a dark and menacing vessel. It was Predator. On its bridge, Weatherlight's crew, if they looked closely, might have been able to see its captain. Greven Il Vec. Grevin's TALE PHILIP ATHAS Vati Ilda knew that he was about to die. The rough, sickly purple hands of his captain, Revin kneeled back, held Vati's coiled locks in a grip like a steel trap. The first mate didn't bother to struggle. He knew he was going to die. That didn't make the prospect any less terrifying. He tried to scream but only opened his quivering lips to his furious master's face in a tormented rictus of desperation. Ambition, Vatilda. Grevin hissed at him, Yevankar's face so close to Vati's own that their breaths mingled even in the sharp, warm wind of the skies of wrath. Is a meal that oft times bites back. Damn you. Vati managed through his tight chest. Grevin laughed. Vati imagined that hideous sound ripping into his chest to freeze his exploding heart. Damn me. <laughs> Grevin growled shrieking hiss of his own laughter. That's a good one. Vadi felt his feet leave Predator's deck, felt the frigid Phyrexian metal of the rails slide down his back. His master, his captain, his murderer was a huge man, twisted and distorted, a horrid parody of the human he had once been. Grevin wore black Phyrexian armor, all graceful spikes and flowing metal that gave him the appearance of a monstrous crab. His bare arms were corded muscle and twisting veins of purple against pale flesh. The commander was drenched in the mingled blood of scores of mog goblins and humans. A thin trail of red trickled from a corner of Grevin's small, tight-lipped mouth. The Evankar's face seemed grafted onto a steel-hard skull. His glaring eyes sloped in sharply to meet a flat nose. The blood was bending on Grevin's face, the skin, if it could be called skin, shining whitely beneath the scarlet. The fingers that held Vody's hair were long, powerful, and tipped in pointed caps of the same black metal as his armor. Vadi wanted to scream, almost cried, but still he managed, as his leather-clad rump slid over and off the rail to say, I die for my failure, Greven, not for my treachery. The fall, Greven told him, smiling as he always did when he was about to kill, will give you time to think on your failure. Vody had time for a scream and four last gasping breaths as he fell through the roiling gray skies of wrath. Tumbling end over end, he saw, but couldn't understand the bulking, horned form clinging to Predator's black keel. If he thought at all, it was to wonder what Grevin would do now that the fight with Weatherlight was over and his first mate had been tossed over like the morning's chamber pots. The legacy, the pieces of which they had sought, was safely stowed in Predator's hold, along with Karn, the strange silver creature whom Grevin's goblins had captured in the course of the fight, and whom Grevin had ordered hauled aboard with every appearance of glee. Now, the commander's ship would make for Vol'rath's stronghold, and no one would ever speak the name Vati da again. Vati felt the wind whistle through his ears and saw his long braids streaming by his face. Lightning flashed around him, and he screamed again and again, his cries lost in the sound of the storm. Then, against the dark background of Wrath's sky, he caught a glimpse of a figure of infinite grace and beauty the fallen angel Selenia, wings outstretched. Her hand seemed to gesture toward him, and for a brief eternal moment, Body imagined he was saved. Then he realized her face was smiling, that she was mocking him, rejoicing in his downfall and impending death. Her wings beat and she was gone. He felt the top of the tree puncture leather, and skin, and he knew it came out his back. Blood exploded before him in a red haze. Sliding down the penetrating branch hurt him the worst, but it was a pain that lasted only the space of a single grunt. But Ilda was dead. Grevin didn't bother watching his former second-in-command fall. One more death, one more tiny, hollow victory, and it was back to the task at hand. Bring us about! He shouted into the confusion still winding down on Predator's wide deck. He didn't bother waiting for a response and didn't look to see that his order was carried out. His crew knew how high they were. Back to the stronghold! We have a package to deliver! Package indeed, Grevin mused. Most of the legacy had been brought aboard as the commander moved amidst a flurry of scurrying mogs to the stairs that would take him to the Predator's vaults. He smiled at body's obvious timing. The second-in-command had waited until Weatherlight's exquisite booty had been brought aboard to begin his feeble grab for power. Grevin had been aboard the enemy vessel, crossing swords with its captain, Gerard, whom they'd been warned of and told to seize the moment he entered Wrath. Vadi, who had stayed behind to look after Predator, look after her, not seize her, Grevin thought angrily, had spun the Mog cannon around on its mount himself. On board Weatherlight, Grevin hacked and slashed at Girard, watching his opponent's sword carefully as he parried the thrusts of his polearm. For a moment, he got past the man's guard, and Girard staggered back. Grevin moved in for the kill. Around him, he heard the war cries of the Mogs and the shouts and screams of the Weatherlight's crews, they battled the invaders. Grevin gave a shout of triumph. Victory was before him, and he closed his fist around it. Then, from coward, but he was an ambitious one, with shaking hands, he lit the can, and the mog came at Grevin with a speed no natural thing had ever achieved before the invention of this cruel and effective weapon. The mog overshot Grevin, and body screamed a command to the other gunners aboard Predator, a command that Grevin had not time to countermand. The human sword rang out against the Phyrexian steel shaft of Grevin's black polearm, less than an inch from the commander's temple. Grevin saw his triumph dissolve in a flurry of flashing steel, and now it was Gerard who was laughing. The human had fought well, Grevin remembered. The sword shrieked off Grevin's polearm with a shower of blue-white sparks, and a mog behind Grevin screamed at the sound. The commander swung the pole around, letting it roll through his long fingers. Another Mog Raider came out of the Predator's cannon, then another in the eye blink it took for Grevin to bring his blade to bear. There was a blast of heat and that lovely sound from the weapon that first brought to heel. Body was using everything Predator had, and that was a lot. Weatherlet's deck shook again from a Mog Cannon barrage, and for the first time Gerard, the stupid, courageous human, faltered. Grevin's night-black blade traced a razor line across Gerard's pink, sweating face, and the human let out a sharp hiss. Grevin's pole arm spun around again and Gerard took a step backward, his sword coming to the ready to defend or attack as openings presented themselves. None did. Neither Grevin nor his enemy had time or opportunity to strike again before a Mog fired from body's own cannon, ripped one of Weatherlight's fragile stabilizers and the ship slumped into a sharp starboard list. Grevin held his feet in a wide stance and Weatherlight began to spin. It was going down by the bow. Crewmen, silly, screaming humans in shirts the color of their own spilling blood, staggered across the deck like autumn leaves before a storm. Some of Grevin's mogs continued to grapple with the humans and were slain. Now two of the Weatherlight's crew members lost their footing. Together with one of the mogs, they toppled over the narrow railing that ran around the ship's decks. Their screams faded as they fell toward the Skyshroud forest far below. Gerard's foot slipped. He already backed away from Grevin, who had slid a bit himself on the deck, now washed in human and mog blood. The human put a hand up to his slashed face, trailing tendrils of hot blood into the whipping wind. Too high, Commander, Gerard snarled. You won't kill me today after all. Gerard came at Grevin then, all at once, his blade raised high and his face twisted in anger. Grevin growled, bringing his pole arm up across his chest to meet the human's downward-arching blade. The deck bounced from another Mog Cannon barrage, and Gerard, his face a comical mask of surprise, went over the side. The moment came and went so quickly that Grevin's shock Delight and disappointment at being deprived of his foes manifested as an absurd squeal. He advanced in three quick strides down the listing deck and clutched the rail as he started over it, searching for a falling body. Blood from Gerard's wound streamed from the blade of Grevin's polearm to splatter against Grevin's face and the commander grinned at the iron taste of it. He pulled himself back to the present. There was no time to savor the moment. Bolrath would want to know as soon as possible of the death of Gerard and the capture of the legacy. Grevin shouted the order to withdraw. Turned back for Predator. His spine tingled and blazed to life. Grevin let out a grunt. Volrath was displeased. The spine that Volrath had grafted into Grevin's back was an alien, torturous thing. It couldn't move Grevin, but it could nudge him with pain. It could hurt him, punish him, and most of all, remind him. Captain and master he was, but only at the whim of Volrath. Grevin, accompanied by those Mog raiders who survived, poised on the rail, balanced above the void. Then he leapt. As he did so, he felt weatherlight fall away beneath him. His hands reached out for his own ship, scrabbled vainly for a moment, then found something to grasp to help him haul himself aboard Predator. A few of the mogs were not so lucky, and he heard their shrieks die out of earshot below. Revan told himself that when he'd come aboard his enemy's vessel, he had only a bit less trouble. The difference between tactics and cowardice is decided by the victor. If he'd lost the legacy and failed to kill Gerard, Grevin's following a horde of slavering, rampaging, inept little mogs onto Weatherlight's deck would have been described as cowardice. Instead, Grevin told himself, the mogs had been there to soften the human defenders and cut a wedge into Weatherlight's desperate, fearful crew wedge that Grevin could walk through straight to Gerard. The tactic worked almost according to plan. The wedge was thinner than Grevin had wanted and he found himself having to push many of his goblins back into the fray. A human spear came nearly close enough to take the commander's nose off, but for his superior reflexes. Grevin had to trip the Mog to his left to get his polearm up in time to kill the not-lucky-enough human. Hitting the deck on its rump led to a slightly faster death for the Mog he'd tripped. The human who beheaded the Mog couldn't get his battleaxe free of the deck planks in time to deflect the three simultaneous blows from mog swords that ripped him to shreds. Moggoblins, goblins, by anyone's estimation, were pathetic creatures at best, monsters at worst. Only the tallest of them were eye-level with Grevin's chest, but they were solidly constructed beasts. Green skin was stretched tight over their rippling muscles. They wore no clothes, probably couldn't work a button or clasp to save their lives, or armor, but all of them were armed. Uncharacteristically delicate picks set atop black metal poles were favorite weapons, as were the wide, curved cutlasses or simple, short, straight swords. Their heads were dominated by huge, red, saliva-soaked mouths lined with rows of teeth meant for rendering flesh from bone. To say that a Mog Goblin has a sloping forehead is an understatement, thought Grevin dryly. A ridge of bone capped their necklace heads. Grevin had always wondered what that bone was meant to protect until he saw a Mog Goblin kill a mountain goat by butting it head-to-head. The Mog's had ears more like an elephant's than anything else's, and they could hear as well as they could fight. Grevin had so many at his disposal, he'd lost count of them weeks ago. Bolrath's stronghold held no limit of them. They bred or were produced like maggots. From his position in the center of the fray, Grevin saw waves of howling mogs mobbing, overtaking Weatherlight. The smaller ship was awash in goblins faster than Grevin had dared hope, but the humans were fighting back. He could see the mogs now flooding into Weatherlight's hold like water draining. The smell of the mogs—sweat, anger, fear, and urine—was as nauseating as it was exhilarating. Grevin killed only a few humans in the next few moments and shouted fewer orders. The mogs had made it to the holds and now were starting to emerge, beaten, bloody, some even missing an arm, an eye, or an ear. Two of them emerged clutching a stick with a tangle of wire at one end. The null rod—Grevin allowed himself a smile to accompany the grudgingly appreciative tingle to his alien spine. To predator with it! He screamed over the din of battle. The order was unnecessary. The goblins knew what to do and were too stupid to change their minds. Just then, Grevin caught sight of Gerard's sweating, angry face and spared only a glance at the mog who emerged from Weatherlight's hold, bearing a small sphere shining like a sunlight in a dark place. The mog carried the delicate artifact in its right arm and its severed left arm and its teeth. Grevin advanced on Gerard, smiling. The human captain cut down two mogs but soon found himself hard-pressed by three more. Now, Grevin was only a few paces from his enemy. Something wet, hot, and soft hit him across the side of the head and nearly caused him to misstep. It was a dead mog, its head crushed. A sailor wielding a cutlass had cut down the goblin and flung it through the air. Instinctively protecting his flank, Grevin looked toward the source of this grim projectile. The sailor moved away, slashing at a crowd of attacking creatures. And Grevin could easily see the surreal form of the silver golem Karn towering over a cloud of mogs. It almost appeared to Grevin that the golem was intentionally allowing himself to be overwhelmed by dozens of fear soaked goblins, one more part of the legacy to be added to Predator's Hall. Grevin didn't have time to rejoice, even if he would have considered such behavior. Gerard was now free of his mogs, who had begun to part to allow their captain his prize. The captain of the Weatherlight advanced on Grevin, his sword at the ready and his fear pushed back enough to be dangerous. Gerard was only angry now, Grevin could see it. The human knew he was losing, but he must have known all along that he would. Gerard must have known that the moment Weatherlight appeared in Wrath, the second that its presence was detected, Predator had come at Weatherlight like a hawk from above. As Weatherlight steadied in the roiling violet-gray clouds of Wrath and began to lose altitude, shying away from the sky's destructive lightning-laced fury, Predator dropped upon it. Graven himself fired the first shot from Predator's main gun. A blinding, blue-hot flash of energy exploded outward and slammed hard into the smaller ship. Even from a distance and even amid the whirling, thundering winds of wrath, Grevin could hear Weatherlight's tremble at the weapon's touch. Grevin knew that his victory was at hand. The shouts of Weatherlight's human crew finally bridged the violent span of the sky and Bullroth's commander ordered his mogs to gather. Weatherlight was damaged, confused, and Predator came in fast. The distance between the two ships closed. Grevin didn't have to bother giving the order to cast the grappling hooks. Body Ilda snapped a command and the ropes shot through the gray sky to their target. Grevin laughed, and Vati looked up sharply. Grevin stared at his first mate, estimating just how far Vody might go to destroy him. Stay behind, snarled Grevin to the mate. Leave the fighting to those who have the courage for it. And with those words, he leaped through the air toward the enemy ship. His mogs followed him. A few of the goblins in the front ranks either overestimated their ability to jump or underestimated the distance still separating the two ships. Fully a dozen of them fell to their deaths. Grevin snorted irritably at the waste and the stupidity. It was a good thing he'd brought so many of them. Crews of slavering mogs pulled hard on the ropes and dragged Weatherlight, resisting feebly closer still. Now a wave of mogs were able to jump the distance easily. The battle was joined by Weatherlight's crew, who immediately started falling back, pushed at the front of an advancing tide of creatures that had no qualms about standing astride their fallen comrades to press the attack. Weatherlight was soon awash in blood and mogs. A thin human with a shock of blonde hair and some ridiculous tabard lofted a gnarled staff into the air. Grevin's skin crawled with the magic that suddenly coursed through him. The spine that Volroth had grafted to his body bristled with static and made Grevin itch. The sensation drove the commander forward. Weatherlight twisted violently on its ropes like a gaffed fish and a few mogs. No more than a half dozen were bucked to their death. The wizard's feeble magic couldn't pull his ship away couldn't stop the tide of red-dripping green flesh that was having its way with Weatherlight's crew. Only in retrospect, as Predator got underway with a full cargo hold, did Grevin remember that glimpse of the flowing silver figure that, in some bizarre form of honor or misplaced pity, refused to kill the drooling mogs that swarmed it like mosquitoes with steel blades. Through all this initial assault, Predator's guns had kept up a constant barrage, and Grevin was satisfied that the mogs had things as well in hand as a mob of mogs was ever likely to. He shouted the ceasefire order across the Gulf. Badiil Da echoed the order, as he was trained to do, but it sounded hollow as if he were mimicking his captain. Grevin knew then that, one way or another, Vat-i-el-Da would never see Borath's stronghold again. For the rest of that battle's events, Grevin put Badi Da out of his mind. He knew part of his strength as Volrath's commander was his single-mindedness, fueled by his master's torturing spine. By the time he regained Predator swept back to his ship in the receding tide of Mogs he knew it was time to kill his first mate Below his craft Weatherlight was losing altitude fast and Greven resisted the urge to watch it fall He went fast and straight to Vadi Oda. the mate in an unexpected show of courage stood waiting for him It ends Vadi Greven told him in a voice like mountain snow smooth but unrelenting permanent and cold Here ends the tale of Grevin. A Dark Room Gerard died? Ilcaster put his head in his hands and groaned. Why do heroes always have to die? Did I say he died? Snapped the Master. Well, no, but... But me no buts! You have made a deduction unsupported by evidence, a sign of ill-thinking. Careless logic! Does Tremaine Spaldoth not say in the forty-third book, The Foundations of Concise Thought, expounded by the Sages of Latin from the second millennium? Master! interjected the boy. What? Don't interrupt me! I never saw such a boy for interrupting! What is it now? Your robe is on fire! The energy of his perjuration, the master had brushed against the candle, and the flame had run up the seam of his tattered gown. The librarian leaped up with a shriek, beating himself with his gnarled hands. Swiftly, Ilcaster smothered the flames and gently led the old man to his seat again. "Won't you sit quietly, master, and tell me more of the story? I promise I won't erupt again." The librarian glared at him but relented and continued the tale. "Very well. Where did I leave off? Well." Master, Greven had just hurled Body da over the side of Predator. Ah, yes, now I remember. We have several accounts of what happened next, and some of what we know can be reasonably deduced from the careful correlation of these stories. We compare these different versions. Yes, Master, but what happened? The caster clapped his hands across his mouth as the words left it. The old man, one finger lifted in a hortatory position, froze glaring at the boy. There was a painful silence during which a high, damp wind whirled and shrieked outside, rattling the windows and bringing with it a rich smell of running water. As I was saying, growled the librarian finally, if we compare these different versions, we learn that the fallen angel, Selenia, floating in the air far below Predator, saw a body fall to his death. She did nothing to aid him having business of her own to report to Grevin. What neither she nor Grevin, nor indeed many of the members of the Weatherlight crew had observed, was that the Predator pulled away from the smaller ship. Congarth Minotaur, with a shout of rage, clasped a trailing rope and hauled himself hand over hand up to the hull of Grevin's ship. Hannah caught a glimpse of his figure as Predator hove out of sight she breathed a silent prayer for his safety. So, observed the boy, now both Tongarth and Karn were aboard predator? And that's right. But at least at this point Greven knew only about Korn, taken prisoner by the Mars. Tongarth intended to rescue his friend the Gollum, though how he expected to get away from the ship is more than anyone can guess. Now, meanwhile, as Greven Ilvec thinned the ranks of his own crew, and Tongath searched the lower decks of Predator for Khan, Hannah and Miri were eagerly seeking some sign of what had become of Gerar. Predator, of course, had gotten clean away, carrying with it Karm, those parts the legacy Weatherlight's crew had stored in its hull after so many years of painstakingly collecting them. Badly damaged, the ship spiraled down into the thickly shadowed forest, crashing through the canopy, and coming to rest amid the muck and swamp water beneath the sky shroud. Could they relaunch the ship? The scholar shook his head. Not without considerable work. Hannah set the crew to their tasks, repairing the hull and tallying their losses. Meanwhile, Orem was busy tending those wounded in the fight. But amidst all this activity, the navigator's thoughts were constantly on the ship's missing captain.